Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White, and today myself, Simon and Martin O'Neill were on hand to look back at the weekend's action. Following their impressive win over West Ham, is top four a realistic target for Aston Villa? Was Sean Dyche right to get so emotional about Canati not being sent off? And what did 2003 World Cup winner Ben Kay make of England's heartbreaking loss to South Africa in the Rugby World Cup? But we began by reflecting on the sad news of Sir Bobby Charlton's passing, aged 86. Of course, one story away from the field of play dominated proceedings over the weekend and tributes, even this Monday morning, continue to pour in. Following the passing of Sir Bobby Charlton, who died aged 86, scoring a lot of goals in the reserves and Mad Busby called me up to his office and he said right he says then um, I'm playing you tomorrow in the first team words I've been waiting to hear for, for ages and ages I'm a professional footballer I'm played in Man United's first team Charlton a goal he scored it's all over Manchester United have done it well done Bobby Charlton well done Manchester United football mad you know like his mother <laughs> It was always so clean and tidy. Jack was always so scruffy. And proudest moment was when they both came out of the tunnel at Wembley together. You can't get higher than that, can you? In his 85th senior international, Charlton had notched his 45th goal. He was England's all-time top scorer. The Munich air crash. Of the crew of six and 38 passengers, 23 are known to have survived. For him to go on the field and play with the idea in his mind that most of the boys he had played with before were now missing. I think this was one of his greatest moments. For Busby's miraculous babe, six weeks from a disaster which stunned the footballing world, are determined to reach Wembley or bust. My time at United has been laced with all these great moments, but none more so than my friendship with Bobby and what he's done for me. He was the Busby babe who became a knight of the realm, the incomparable Sir Bobby Charlton. The incomparable Sir Bobby Charlton. Simon's alongside uh, Martin O'Neill this morning. Simon, I was on Talk TV this morning 
uh, at a very early hour, but I, I was explaining to the people there that as far as my dad was concerned, my late father, Robbie, it, it, very, very occasionally he, was, he would come along with me somewhere because he wanted to meet somebody. And uh, Bobby Charlton was a guest in the studios of Scottish TV. You know where that is, Martin, of course, mm -hmm. in, in Glasgow by the Clyde. Then it was up at Cow Cadden's and... Um, Robbie said, can I come in? You know, Bobby Charlton's going to be in your studio. I'd love to meet him. And I remember after the evening news programme, he, he sat with my dad and gave him about half an hour. And my father spoke about it for years. Mm. This was the draw that Sir Bobby was, wasn't he? Everybody knew of him. Everybody knew the kind of man he was. And everybody would have loved to have spoken to him because of his demeanour. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, a, he's now from a generation long gone and from a society that's changed so much. And he represented so much of the good things in football. And there's still lots and lots, of course, lots of good things. And you look at, when I talk about Manchester United and this football club that has such legacy and iconography, and Bobby Charlton is seated right in the middle of it. I met him twice. I met him on a, an evening where he was doing a speech, a sporting dinner speech, and I met him in the ballroom at Manchester United when we played, when Palace played Man United in 2005. And he was just... A very hello, young man. How how are you finding? Welcome to Man United. Um, and you don't really appreciate it. I was thirty five years of age, and I wasn't really paying that much attention to it. But I knew who I was talking to, and of course, I remember my father. You know, loving, you know, Bobby Charlton and Bobby Moore and players of that ilk. And it's and it's a much overused expression, but they don't make them like that. They don't make players and characters and individuals and football clubs that he was part of like that very often. Yes, Martin, you played against them. I, I did, Jim. I, I played against him. It's etched in my memory forever. Uh, December 4th, 1971. Uh, six weeks earlier, I was a student at Queen's University. Suddenly, I'm thrust into this. And uh, I come on as a substitute. Bobby Charlton, George Best and Dennis Law, all playing for Manchester United at the time. Uh, and um, within about eight or nine minutes, I actually picked the ball up in the halfway line. It is actually on YouTube. You can get this, so I'm not making it up. And I burst past Bobby Charlton and I scored this goal against... Anyway, uh, obviously a fantastic moment for me, uh, the three legends playing in the, in the game. Uh, two months later, I, was, I met George Best personally for the first time in Hull. And I mentioned, the, uh, I mentioned me bursting past Bobby Charlton. <laughs> and he said, well, Bobby Charlton is 35 years of age. He said he's stopped chasing now for the last two, <laughs> two years. So it was quite, quite funny. But it was just a, a, obviously a great moment for me. Bobby was at the end of his career and I was, uh, I was starting out. And just to be, to be on the same pitch as him, Dennis Lawn and George Bess was just, uh, 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 just uh, like a, uh, the usual proverbial dream come true. Yeah. He was a graduate of the Manchester United Youth Academy. He played 758 games, scored 249 goals during 17 years as a Manchester United player and, of course, won the European Cup, three league titles and, and the FA Cup. Um, it's, it's, it's always a question at a time like this, Simon. Um, calls for a Sir Bobby statue outside Wembley. What is the best and most fitting way to immortalise legends of the game? I think they've already been immortalised. I think there already is a legacy for Bobby Charlton that um, will not be something that people forget. I mean, statues are always part of it, and then years come past, statues get turned into different things for different reasons. But his recognition within the game, I don't think is going to be diminished. And I think whichever way people want to 
to remember that. I mean, I, I know that Manchester United were opening a book of remembrance. I know that Man United will celebrate it because, you know, whatever Manchester United under the Glazers are or they aren't, they still know who their heroes were. They still know what defined certain aspects of this football club. Um, so whether that's statues or other forms of recognition, I don't know. Is there a statue at Old Trafford of Bobby Charlton already? I think there's one of the three of them. I think there's yeah. is that uh, Dennis Law, yeah. um, George Best. Yes, yeah. yes the, there is. And of course, Bobby Moore at, at, at Wembley. I mean, certain players transcend the sport itself, Martin. And I think Sir Bobby falls into this category, doesn't he? Do you know what? You, you get the feeling that having survived the Munich crash in, in 1958, that you, you almost felt as if he was destined to, for greatness then after that. And I think there... Uh, you know, he's almost like a, a reticent legend in, in the sense that his lifestyle, probably in contrast at the time, and I'm talking about in the 60s to George Best, really, exactly. probably made it yeah. a really interesting. Here here you have a, a man almost taciturn in, in, in many aspects. No, I'm sure, listen, he never lacked self-confidence, Bobby Charlton, in the field of play. But as as Simon mentioned, his, his demeanour, his whole... His whole his attitude to football, he play the game, really think about this particular match and then be going home. Whereas George was probably on the way out at that time. And I meant, I mean, out. Yes. <laughs> I don't mean yeah. in the way out of finishing football, but it was just the contrast between the two. And I yeah. think that that was, uh, right. I think that that was um, made even greater during, during, the, during the period of, of greatness from both of them. Yes. Uh, I, I remember Sir Bobby almost felt a, sen- a sense of guilt Simon, that he'd survived the Munich air crash, where, where, where uh, of course, so many others didn't. Yeah, and I don't know if that put him back in terms of personality, if he regressed somewhat over the years, because he he came over extremely shy, almost reluctant to be in the spotlight at any time. Well, I'm sure. I mean, you've got to remember the times that we were in. I mean, as Martin quite eloquently summed it up for 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 George Best, see Bobby Charlton, but you needed that alchemy, that mix to make yes, a unique yeah. blend of this sixty eight yeah. side, this phenomenal side. And I think you're probably right, because out of adversity, two things happen. People of real character rise to life and the challenges and they use adversity adversity as a catalyst. And some people don't. And in this instance Bobby Charlton did. And and the the, the 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 culture of the man, the culture of the football club, the achievements, the fact that the England national side can only point to that particular moment in 1966, which he was pivotal in, specifically in the semi-final. Mm. And then you look at the 68 uh, European Cup final against Benfica and his contribution. And then you look at the whole, even going through to the World Cup in 1978, mm. where you see Bobby Charlton part of that framework that coca-cola were putting forward Mm -hmm. to the world cup and everything that went with it yeah and you know he was of a unique time yeah and of a unique vintage and of a unique outlook and there's something much more edifying and much more elegant about people that there's an old saying isn't it about money money talks and wealth whispers um and in this instance in football terms i think bobby charlton whispered because he didn't need to roar absolutely he couldn't put it any better than that simon um, he really is a legend of the game. Um, a whole host of individual accolades, a Ballon d'Or, a Footballer of the Year, a World Cup Golden Boot winner, England's record goal scorer, Manchester United's record goal scorer and United's leading appearance maker. Sir Bobby Charlton, who died at the weekend, aged 86. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan.
Martin and you, we mentioned uh, one-time manager of Aston Villa. Aston Villa, it seems at the moment, Martin, are in the mood to write headlines of the right nature this season. My goodness. They were in the mood yesterday against West Ham United. 4-1 they won. And now various questions are being asked about Aston Villa. Is this a Champions League club in waiting? Can they be this season's Newcastle or is it going to be too soon for them? As for Unai Emery, a year tomorrow, he's going to be uh, in the job exactly a year tomorrow. Emery post-match said, hang on, let's keep our feet in the ground. Our dream is always uh, important trying to to get get it. But uh, the reality is uh, how we are going to face each match, how we are going to face each moment, taking points like today, enjoying as well in 90 minutes, uh, playing in with a good uh, atmosphere here with uh, our fans and then being on the table fifth and then uh, we are going to face uh, Europa League Conference League match on, on Thursday against uh, Aceta Almar and as well it's very important for us and um, we have to, to rest a little bit tomorrow but again we are going to, to face uh, this week being very important in Europe and uh, on Sunday here playing against Luto. So it's kind of one game at a time and we know that that is always that's always a mantra that the top managers churn out and the top players as well. Look, let's not race too far ahead. But what do you think, Martin? Is this a Champions League club in waiting? Is this going to be their moment? Well, they're riding the crest of a wave at the moment. They've, uh, it's been a, a fantastic year for the football club, a fantastic year for the manager. He's an exceptional manager anyway. I think he got, um, I think it was... And harshly treated might be too strong uh, at uh, at Arsenal before, but his record would suggest that he has got something. So uh, Aston Villa were in a bit of turmoil before he arrived. Up he comes, there he arrives, and you expect maybe a, maybe uh, a, you know manager stepping in there, maybe results going in his favour early on, and things plateauing. At the end, it's just been a continuous rise. Absolutely fantastic, really really good, good manager, good set of players as well too. And um, I was just saying off air there that they'd spent some money uh, on the players. Simon uh, told me, um, uh, rebuked me by saying that they had spent 290 million but had recouped 200 million. So well done them if that's the case. So essentially, they're on the, they have an excellent manager. They have uh, the players look as if they believe in exactly what he's, what he's telling them. I was listening to a couple of interviews there in the last number of weeks by the um, McGinn and uh, they, they really do like him. Now, liking a manager and respecting a manager might be two different things. So I think they've got a bit of both about them. They look as if they're on the rise. And and why not? Why yeah, not? Why you know, not? You know? I mean, size and stature. This should be a Champions League team. Well, I mean, when I when I managed the side, that was my ambition to try and get into the Champions League. That right. Was the, and uh, and we failed twice. Um, we finished sixth three, three consecutive years, but two on two occasions, taking it almost to the wire, and uh, and maybe uh, hopefully or the possibility of of the next year maybe uh, kicking on as it turned out it didn't materialize forget about that at this moment yes they have the they have the wherewithal to do it and why not this year that in their performance there yesterday was terrific really really terrific against mm. Um, mm. against west ham and their home record which is really really important to them you know if 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 they're going to win the games at home i think it's what is it 11 consecutive victories at home that's yeah, fantastic yeah that's correct i mean can you believe it's 13 years out of Europe, I mean, since you were there, 
Uh, yeah, Aston Villa should be competing or should be getting close to European Absolutely. football more often than that. You know, there's no question about it. Absolutely. I mean, Simon, I think I think questions have got to be asked. Obviously, who's not going to finish in the Champions League places if Villa is to grab one? That's another that's another uh, debate, another conversation. But this could be the season. I think that they could do it. Well, I mean, I have I have an affection for Aston Villa. You know, I grew up at a time when people like Tony Morley were playing and Peter With were playing and Gordon Cowns was playing and Dennis Mortimer was playing and Jimmy Rimmer was in goal and whatever else. And I watched that side and I watched that side win the European Cup. I, I, I actually got on very well with Doug Ellis um, and that was surprising given not the personality differences in the mm. age range. But there is a difference between Villa... And that Villa and this Villa now, they're a big football club. They are, to me, one of the, the, the biggest football clubs in this country. Martin will be able to attest to that more specifically. But, you know, they started the season getting beat five by Newcastle. Uh, and, and people sort of looked at that and thought, hang on, this is not a follow-on from the previous season. Mm. Martin is right and wrong in the same breath. Um, in the last three years, they've spent 290 million quid and recouped 190. So their net spend is 30 million, 30 million pound a month, 30 million pound a year, sorry. Um, but in the first season, he's right, they spent another 90 million quid on top of it. So the four years they've been back in the Premier League, they've spent, you're right, 200 million quid um, net, which is not, when you're thinking about it, it's £50 million pounds a season isn't a huge amount of money in the scale of things when you're looking at the other sides that are trying to compete to get into the top yeah, four. That's true. And Newcastle, it's, a, it's an interesting one because this was a guy that was going to Newcastle. And, and now we're talking yes. about this guy mm. being in the same potential space as, as, that. as, as, mm. as, space as Newcastle. Yeah. He was always a good manager. You don't get to manage in some of the jobs that he's managed in PSG if you're not a top manager. Mm. He hit the Arsenal space at a time like most situations where somebody's been in, in control of a football club for a very long period of time there is always this challenge he picked it up after Wenger in the same way that David Moyes picked up at Man United after Ferguson mm. he got Arsenal going for a season and then fell away then you had all the challenges with Granit Xhaka you had the culture culture of the Arsenal fans looking at Arsenal through a certain perspective but clearly this guy's a decent manager and, you know, I don't mean to be mean-spirited and unkind, but you put a proper manager into a decent football club, there's a distinct possibility you're going to get decent outcomes. Not guaranteed, but you put Gerard in there, who was learning his trade, coming from Rangers to Villa, I thought was always going to be a very difficult job for him to do, and that he was going to put himself in jeopardy as well as the football club, and so he duly did. But this guy comes in, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he expects from his players. He knows how to play football. He knows how to adapt and pivot and to be able to manage big football clubs. You manage PSG, for God's sakes. Mm. Yeah. You know, you manage yeah. PSG with a 77% win record. Mm. I know what we're seeing in their league is not anywhere near comparable to the challenges mm. of the Premier League and some of the other big leagues in Europe, but notwithstanding it. So I'm not surprised. But do I think they'll get in the top four? I think they'll be hard pushed. I think they'll be hard pushed. Well, I think they'll knock on the door, Simon. Well, I they think, may well knock, I don't think they may well knock on the door. But you know, I think I think the the usual suspects. I think Chelsea's engines are starting now. Um, I think Man United, despite all the apparent chaos, will find some levels. And I think if you look at what's in mm. there already, your Liverpool's, your Manchester City's, your Tottenham's, your Arsenal's. I think it's a big ask. I don't think it's beyond them. But I don't think they'll be pricing it into their thinking that it's a given. But listen, I like this. I want to see exactly. a competitive mm. league. I want to see eight, nine teams really trying to punch into the Champions League. Yeah. And Villa are clearly in that space right now. Villa's the kind of team we want to see keep company with the elite in the in the English game. I mean, there's Tony Cascarino this morning in the Times, uh, Martin, telling us that in his view it's the best Villa side since Atkinson won the League Cup with them back in 1994, which begs the question... Why have they underachieved for so damn long? 
Yeah, well, Tony, Tony uh, obviously has forgotten the um, the three years that um, that we finished top six. For, um, so you're so, not having that. Well, yeah, well. And you're right to say it. The night, the night, the best side that Aston Villa have ever had is obviously the 1981-82 side because they won the league. And the and uh, I'm talking about in the last 50 years. You mean you you can go right back into history where. I mean, they were founder members of the Football League way back in 1883 or whatever it was. Mm. So what I'm saying is that, um, yeah, uh, we had a really fine side. This side at this minute uh, has still has loads of potential, loads of potential to go past my team, loads of potential to go past the side that he's talking about, Ron Atkinson's team. They have, they have yet, yet to prove that yet. And well, let's see what I'll happens at the end of the season. What, what, this is stopped the you, what stopped you, Mark, when you look back at it? Six, fantastic. Yeah, great. But what stopped you getting to the promised land, the Champions League? The last, last few results of the season, you know, are we, uh, we, well, I, I hate to go back into it. It's, it's, uh, it's, I've, um, it's, I've never thought about this for a moment other than every uh, 35 seconds. Um, <laughs> it is to do with, uh, we, we, come back, we come back from a European venture in Russia and uh, we played a game against Stoke City. We were 2-0 up with it, about eight minutes to go. And had we taken all three points, it keeps our impetus going. We dropped the, we, the Stoke City scored twice. And the, Glenn Whelan actually scored a goal. And Glenn Whelan hasn't scored a goal in 35 years. And um, <laughs> so he scores a goal against us. And it's equaliser 2-2. And it just it did knock the, it knocked the steam out of us for, for a while. That was it. But we not. The, the 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 next year we finished six again within two two games to go be, before the end of the season we're yeah. still vying with yeah. the likes of Tottenham Hotspur and Manchester City at that time for a fourth place was, was there a mentality issue though competing with the ones who are already no, in I, there I don't like they're going to have again it would seem this season I, you'll you'll always make assessments and judgments on things that when you don't when you don't actually get there and there's lots of reasons that you think oh gosh I wonder if we could, could have done this could have done that eventually we might we, because I played the same side almost every single week and we didn't really have the squad size enough we might just have run out of steam we might just have run out of steam, physical street, uh, steam, yeah. in the sense. You know, we the last season we contested the League Cup final, we were in the semi-final of the FA Cup and we finished uh, sixth in the league. And essentially, with the same smallish group of players, because mm. I didn't, uh, the peripheral players were perhaps not good enough. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Martin, another Merseyside derby comes and goes. Liverpool won it. Uh, no change there in uh, the sequence of events over quite a sizable period of time now. Sean Dyche, though, Everton manager, unhappy that Liverpool defender Kanati escaped a second yellow card at nil-nil in the second half for fouling Beto. Uh, this was after Ashley Young had been sent off after 37 minutes for a mistimed tackle on Luis Diaz. And... Uh, Deitch got himself booked. The whole thing kind of went up in smoke, didn't it? And thereafter, Klopp substitutes Konati. This was Deitch, in it? I've asked the referee. He said he didn't feel that it was a, a bookable offence and he felt that straight away. I don't know what is then, because I, 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 I'd like to think there's a lot of fair-minded people in football and I think people who are here today would be stunned. Oh, that's not a second yellow. I don't want to talk about referees, especially in games like this. And it's rare. I can't remember the last time I spoke so openly about referees and decisions. But that, that one's incredible to me. I mean, I, and I got a yellow card. I don't, I, don't know how I, got, I don't even know how I got a yellow card. It was like a near impossibility. I don't know what for. For, for, for just literally gesticulating like everyone in the stadium was probably thinking, well, the Liverpool fans have got away. Well, now fans are going crazy going, what's going on here? Um, and you get a yellow card for that. I mean, that's just that's just... Like, I mean, you know, you know, it's like I end up getting in trouble. I shouldn't get in trouble because I think we should be allowed to speak freely if they have an off day. They're the officials. I think we should be able to. But anyway, I would get in trouble, so I'm not going to get too involved in it. I think I'm trying to be fair about it and just telling what everyone else probably thinks. Because it's anyway. Look, how that's not a second yellow is nearly impossible. I think in the modern game. So Sean Dyche saying, "Now nah, this just was not on the decision making regarding that uh, challenge by Kanati." And yet Kanati stayed on the pitch. Martin, you've been in that situation on many occasions. Um, do you sympathise with Deitch in his disbelief? In, entirely. Absolutely entirely. I got, I, extraordinary. Watching the game, thought, well, if, if the referee has sent off Isley Young for the two bookable offences, then Kanati's got to go. He's got to go. It's really as simple as that there. And I don't understand what the referee was thinking about really at the time. And I'm quite sure now, in retrospect, that the referee must think, well, why did I think that this wasn't a bookable offence? Getting back to Sean Dyche, uh, yeah, I would have been apoplectic in the, on the touchline. Uh, and it is, it is a big... It's a, it's, a, it's a momentum mover in that sense. You know, Sean Dyche cleared it by saying he thought about, you know, game-changing and then he changed his mind and that there. And I understand that there. You, you, who knows? Yeah. But it's, 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 uh, it's, it should be levelled up. They should have had 10 men each. Just before we came on air, we said to the PGMOL, Simon, look, this, this was wrong, wasn't it? You know, surely Kanati should have got a second yellow. And the response we get, as you know, VAR can't get involved in yellow cards, so not a huge amount of guidance from the VAR hub. And that was that. Um, I'm not sure what that tells us. But the fact of the matter is, he didn't get a second yellow card. And then Deitch gets booked. Well, it, it tells us that we can't blame VAR for that decision. 
we have to deal with the on-field decision and ask ourselves the question as to why the referee saw it differently. And Martin, I and I, I saw Ashley Young getting sent off. He should have gotten sent off. It's not a debate. The referee's made a mistake. VAR doesn't come into the conversation, so all the VAR dislikers can park park it up. And whether the protocol should change if it's if it's a second yellow card and that decision becomes something that you need to make a decision on, that means that there's got to be more diligence in the VAR room saying, hang on, that plays already on a yellow card, I'm going to have to involve myself. So it becomes more complicated. But it's a poor decision. The only thing I would say, and it's a difficult one, because I I don't want to condone, condone poor decisions, but the battle is at the moment in time about regaining some authority for referees and regaining some control over the way the players behave. And the reasons why Sean was given a yellow card is not because the fans in the stadium are gesticulating, it's because he occupies a position of authority. And that means he comes to a different standard than the fans. So when he talks about the fact that I'm stunned that I got a yellow card because all I was doing was what everybody else in the stadium was doing, was gesticulating, but you're the manager of the football team, Sean. You're not a random sitting in a crowd that doesn't affect the outcomes you're part of the conundrum that referees are trying to get past, which is the culture of respect, making right decisions, all being on the same page, trying to get a better, out, better outcome for football. So the, on that side, I, under, I, I think, well, sh- Sean, don't be silly. On the other side of it, I think... Well, that, that, I think there's a need for that, Sam, the way you've just um, impersonated what the referee, in my view, should have done, the official should have done. Sean, pipe down. Yeah, and there's judgment. You know, he's not yeah, getting booked. There's judgment in that. And again, the subjectivity that comes to pass, and people could turn around and say, it's irrelevant of the circumstances. If the referee considers him a, 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 a person in authority, whether it be a player or it be the captain of the side or the manager of the side, breaching the current protocols or guidelines of how they should behave, they're forced into a situation. I'm also on the other side of the argument because I don't want people to... Everyone's accountable and referees should be no different. I've been a leading um, uh, exponent of the idea not leading, but I've been an exponent of the idea that referees need to be afforded more courtesy and more respect and a bit more value in the game. And and, and given that opportunity that, the, that everyone else seems to have, which is the ability to make mistakes. But I also don't want it to go unnoticed. I don't want, the, the you know, so when I'm sitting there thinking Sean gets a yellow card for gesticulating through frustration, which Martin says he'd have been apoplectic. If I was the owner of the football club and stadium, I would have probably been apoplectic in the director's box. Mm. So is this very difficult balance to strike between wanting to afford referees the courtesy and the respect that that position should occupy and then condoning poor decisions. Yeah, Sean, balance, Sean, Sean Deitch's reaction is the most natural reaction in the world for a manager at that time. The most natural reaction in the world. You are in a... It's it's a, a big, big game. It's, it doesn't matter. It's a, it's a game of football of which you, your, your job's depending on it. And this is a major decision. And you've seen you one of your players sent off for two bookable offences. Fine, OK. We're not going to argue with that there. And the similar situation happens. Sorry. Absolutely. I'm, I'm with... And, and it might only be momentarily. And you say, "Oh, listen, I'll, 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 I'll get, I'll get hold of my senses again." But in that moment or two, absolutely with it. And honestly, there's uh, whatever you say. And I take, uh, or sorry, don't take Simon's point, but I, but I understand what he's saying. Where the referee has to have some sort of control again. The referee's dropped a ricket. Dropped the, a ricket. The tragedy, the, the tragedy of this situation really is that we've gone to a binary choice, right? Which is, if you dare dis- have any sort of conversation about anything, the reasons why we're here, the reasons why Sean Dyche got booked for gesticulating, is because go back over the last ten years and watch the way managers have behaved and watch what they've done, even in the most, you know, innocuous of decisions, going absolutely apoplectic because something hasn't gone the way that they think it should have gone, and so we now arrive at this ridiculous situation where Martin's right, where a relatively normal reaction from a manager of exasperation about a decision which is clearly wrong is now is now 
meeting out a consequence. But that's not. It's not really because of that. It's because of the fact that the referees have had to endure the behaviour from managers going apoplectic and players simulating and cheating and creating cultures that referees are, are the other side of the coin. They're the enemy. They're the ones to be conned. That we've now reached to this point where the situation where Sean Dyche finds himself in is. He gets a yellow card for what most people would say, oh, it's not a big deal. He doesn't really need to be given a yellow card for that. A referee could walk over and go, well, zip it, you. Yeah. And then that's the end of the discussion. Yeah. But you can't do that because we've seen that before. We've seen, we you know, we reached a point, and I'm sorry, I don't care if Liverpool fans don't like it. We saw a situation last year where a referee was pretty much called a cheat mm. by a manager. Mm. And yes. that was the point where the refereeing fraternity decided that there needs to be a different way of administering the game. And what happens is you get caught in the crosshairs and Sean Dyche gets caught in the crosshairs of a body of work that's gone from 10 years of extremely bad behaviour at times that have made refereeing more difficult than it needs to be. You're going to accept that? We're talking about singular incident here. At the spur of the moment where you feel as if the world is against you because of what has happened just in, in, in the, it, 10 minutes earlier in the game. And you feel as if a right should be righted again. But we're agreeing, Martin. Well, but we the, are. But the reasons, the reasons why you've got this ridiculous I, extreme reaction is because the referees have now seen for the last 10 years a currency and culture of constant misbehaviour across the pantheon of participants. And now they've got to this ridiculous situation where you, where Sean Dyche is quite right to be frustrated. What do you want yeah. him to do? Be sat there, be yeah. stoic about it. That's not how football works. That's not how football works. But it's been, but it's been made this no, way. No, I, I also take that point that the referees were at the beginning of the season trying to take control back again, rest control again from players who are in control of the game. I'm with that. I'm absolutely with that. We're getting back to the point about Sean Dyche. Sean Dyche has been booked for something. He's got a yellow card for something that's uh, almost inexplicable. Getting back to maybe the referee should go over and say to him, listen, uh, I didn't think this was a bookable offence. Sorry, sit down. Yeah, that's, that's possible. But Sean Dyche, I, I, as I said to you, I would be apoplectic about it. Have been beforehand. And I'm probably going back 20 years or something like this year I'm may- maybe one of the stars yeah. of people up and down in the touchline right. so I listen so honestly, it's your fault so it's your the, fault the yeah. kettle calling the pot all that type of stuff <laughs> but right. I'm saying I still think the best on... question was that daring reporter that dare to ask Jurgen Klopp that did he think that uh, a replay that Everton oh. should be given a replay oh, oh I know I know. a golden absolutely. moment <laughs> yeah absolutely no replay absolutely your 100% essential download outspoken with White and Jordan New Zealand uh, saw off Argentina 44-6 and then it was a big one for England up against South Africa. Simon was right behind England getting through to the final. They almost did it just in the last minute. A kick to South Africa after a penalty awarded and South Africa went through 16-15. Ben Kay, England's 2003 World Cup winner, will give us his take on that and how the final may or may not go. But of course, there was a a backstory to that uh, final as well because England's Tom Curry accused uh, Bongi Bonamambi of uh, calling him... Uh, a racist term, shall we say, during England's World Cup uh, semi-final defeats. So, uh, an investigation is ongoing. In the last few seconds, we've just heard World Rugby says it takes all allegations of discriminatory behaviour extremely seriously. We can confirm that we are formally reviewing the allegation made by Curry in relation to the use of discriminatory language uh, during the match on Saturday. World Rugby will not be making further comment until the conclusion of the process. So we were assured it would be around now when we'd, we'd hear, but Simon, it's going to drag on. 
it's going to drag on. They're still looking at it, and we're none the wiser as yet. As for the game itself, what was Ben Kay's take in it? Two minutes away from the World Cup final. What should the overriding feeling be for England? Uh, going so close to getting one foot in that final in this tournament. I think the players will obviously just have huge disappointment because they couldn't have played a better tactical game against South Africa. They'd obviously gone into the game, well, the tournament as underdogs with how they'd performed in the warm-up and then they weren't particularly good in most of the pool stages of the tournament apart from that, that first win against Argentina when they were under the pump down to 14 men after two minutes. But yeah, they, they were the only unbeaten team going into the semi-finals and I think yeah, they got it. they've got the tactics spot on. So to get so close, they'll be hugely disappointed. But from a from a fan's perspective, you know, we've all been really worried about English rugby and where they were and and where they should be with the playing resources we have and and the support we have. And and you know, finally there was a performance that that the nation could really get behind. So huge pride in in that. They were very very unlucky uh, at the end. Uh, the scrum was was our undoing really, and and we know that's a major strength in South Africa, particularly with the bench they've got to bring on. But as you said, two minutes away from winning it and uh, being in a, in another final. Ben has Steve Borthwick won back the support of even the hardest fans to please. Look, there's still work to be done. I don't think. Steve Borthwick's never going to be the, the the most open and charismatic coach that's that's going to get the nation behind w- with his personality. But he is a, a very successful coach, and I, I think he knows his own failings in that regard. He, he put some people, certainly within the squad, in terms of the other coaches that are very good at that. So look, he knows he's not that sort of personality. Unfortunately, the England head coach job is unlike any other job in in rugby and you have to sort of take the supporters along with you. I think he's going to be learning on the hoof. But in terms of winning, I mean, people say we want to see the team play beautiful rugby. And yeah, there's an element to that. We don't necessarily want that for 80 minutes. We just want four or five big moments in a game that we can go, wow, that's exciting. But then the real proof in the pudding is, is, is winning the games. And as long as he keeps on winning, people will get behind him. I see where you're going with it, but I'm driving at this. When you look at England, what are they under Borthwick, Ben? Are they more out not to lose than to out and out win? There's an element of that. Having said that, you know, he did something very similar at Leicester Tigers, his last job, where he took a team that were really, really struggling and he focused on building them up from sound foundations. And, and you know, in rugby, that is still the set piece, the defence, the kick chase. And once you get all that in place and you're the best in the world at that, then the other stuff is the add-ons, which takes you to a new level. And he's still very much new into the job. He's still building those. He, he's a little bit, which won't you know, please the fans and, and excite the fans. He's very data-led. So he has a company that he uses that tells him the, the right sort of, or backs up his thoughts on the right sort of game plan to win more games and win the most games possible with the sort of players you have. But then once you get to that level, it's not enough to be winning more than you're losing and going out not to lose games. You have to go out and chase them. And, and that's, you know, South Africa really are the blueprint for English rugby at the moment because you look back to when they beat us in the 2019 final. They didn't play free-flowing rugby all the time, but everyone came away thinking, 
wow, they played well in that game. They had some great attacks, but actually a lot of it was based around what England's traditional game is and playing in the right areas. But then that ability to go really, really quickly and strike when you have the opportunities. And England haven't had that for a couple of years now, that ability to strike when the opportunities are there. Ben, you'll have seen, of course you will, Courtney Laws has announced his international retirement, 105 caps. How about his contribution? Courtney's just a, a legend. He's had challenges through his career. He's moved position from second row to back row, changed his body weight as a, as a result. He had injury problems that he's overcome and you know forced him to change the way. He, he's renowned as one of the biggest tacklers that the English game's ever seen, but he had to change his tackle technique because of one of his injuries he picked up. So he's just managed to adapt himself and, and he's always been a ever-present, consistent player for England. So, you know, I look back to sort of my era and you know, one of our favourites as a player, probably everyone says is the most underrated England player ever was Richard Hill and he reminds me very much of that. You know, he always had a level of performance and consistency that never dropped and, and you know, as someone to play alongside, I'm sure, all those players in the England squad and that's one of the hard things at the end of a World Cup. You tend to get some of your mates and some of the people you've relied on retiring and you know when you sit in that changing room for the last time, it's the last time you're ever going to be together as a group and, and I'm sure the loss of Courtney will be will be very much felt in that changing room. So Ben, New Zealand, South Africa, who wins it? Going into the tournament, I thought France were the favourites. I thought they were obviously fantastic, but the home support was amazing. When they got knocked out, you're thinking, well, it's South Africa's now, but having had two really tight games and had to put so much physical energy into them, New Zealand have had an extra day to recover. I think New Zealand are slight favourites now. New Zealand I've done loads of radio interviews with, with New Zealand Radio at the beginning of the tournament. They were all telling me this is the worst New Zealand side ever. You know, they've got no chance. And quietly, they've just slipped under the radar and their performances have improved and improved. They haven't had that fight in the semi-final because it was a bit easy for them against Argentina, but I think they're the favourites. And, and if they can get any sort of fluidity to their game, which will come from matching South Africa physically uh, up front and, and making a few dents up front, but if they do that, they are a team that can, in the blink of an eye, you can be 14 points down, uh, as Argentina found out. So I'd, I'd just about make New Zealand favourites. Ben, it would be wrong not to mention this footnote story. Finally, Tom Curry's made an allegation of a racist comment uh, he says was made against him during the game against South Africa. Is this unusual in rugby, would you say, Ben? Yeah, it is. There have been things that have been picked up on the pitch before. Bastereau, the French centre, was banned for a couple of games because of a, a homophobic comment he made, or more than a couple of games, six games, I think it was. And, and, and then obviously Joe Marler made a comment against one of the Welsh players and, and received a ban. Having said that, you know, I, I haven't seen Tom Curry sort of being vocal post-match about it. He, he flagged it with the referee at the time. Uh, I know that, that there's a lot of worry about it in South Africa in terms of was it actually what Tom Curry thought he said because there's a similar word in Afrikaans which means something very different so uh, you know if it's just Tom Curry flagging it to the referee on the pitch and nothing more is made of it then I'm not sure it, it can go any further but I'm sure there will be an investigation they'll, they'll look to see if they can pick anything up on the ref mics but unless there's any evidence I, I don't feel we can sort of Hang Umbanombi, who's the, the man who's, who's alleged to have made the comment out to dry, because you know in the heat of battle, a noisy atmosphere, it's, it's sometimes mistakes can be made. So it's one for the authorities, but I don't really 
feel comfortable talking about it because I haven't heard the actual comment being made. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a review. Whatever you get your podcast from, we'll be back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.